Hello and welcome to the Life is Story podcast. I'm Josh Olds, and today I'm talking with Chris Fabry, the author of many books that I'm sure that you know, and the host of Chris Fabry Live on Moody Radio. Uh, he's here to talk about his upcoming book releasing in just about a month now in November called Saving Grayson. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Josh, it is great to see you again. Glad to glad to be with you, and let's have some fun. What do you say? Yeah, I am excited i read this book a couple of days ago i had the advanced copy i will admit for probably a couple of months um but i was in the final stretches of my doctoral dissertation <laughs> and it was like i have to put aside everything else so i successfully defended my doctorate uh three days ago and the first thing i did to celebrate was to go out and spend the afternoon <laughs> Reading Congratulations. And uh, that's a that's just an amazing thing for you to accomplish. How does it feel now that you it, are past it? I am glad to have done it and I am glad to not be doing it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it was a, it was a great experience. And I think it's something the the research that I did will be something that I, sticks with me for a long time. Um, so yes, so technically your book is the first book I read as Dr. Josh Olds. So you get that wow. distinction, uh, from me. I don't know if that will help you sell any books <laughs> or not, Tell everybody. but, uh, you can, you know, if, if ever, if ever you need my endorsement, you can now put the doctor, uh, in front of that. Uh, but we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about <laughs> you and your book. So let's pretend that we're both getting on an elevator. We're going to the top floor of whatever building we're going to. And you're going to tell me about your book. Give me the elevator pitch for this novel. A man who has uh, a, an English professor's mind and heart and a writer's heart is losing his memory. And he wants to go back and solve the mystery of his own life before he goes away. That's basically the pitch of the novel Saving Grace. Yeah, that was a very short building that we're on. So we're going to dive dive a little more into that. This book, one of the things that got me right at the very beginning was how accurate it seemed the portrayal of dementia, of memory loss uh, is. And that, I, I feel like that's so difficult to get right in media, books or movies. You have mental illness or cognitive disabilities, and they kind of get reduced to you know tropes right. that aren't usually that accurate. Uh, so what did you do in the research for this novel and in the writing of this novel to make sure that you gave both an accurate portrayal of dementia and also a healthy portrayal of it? It, it was really important to me not to make these, you know, the caricature at sometimes I think if you would criticize the book and, and Grayson and what he does that I've used him, I've let him do some things that maybe somebody with his diagnosis might not, you know, do, but I tried to talk with some of the experts and some of the people who have given care to people uh, who have Alzheimer's. And then I've got a friend, a real close friend was kind of the impetus of the book of, of me thinking about this more deeply family members who have struggled. And I think that's one of the things that really encourages me as, as people are beginning to read it is you nailed this, you know, you didn't get everything in here that we've experienced, but boy, I really identified with, with this situation that you portrayed right here. So for a writer who, you know, I can't follow you around and, and see what's going on in your life 
for me to be able to hit the nail on the head for somebody in their heart, you know, this is exactly how I felt here. I feel seen. That's what I try to do. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I think whether it's dementia, Alzheimer's, any any form of cognitive decline that comes with aging or not with aging, just with with uh, you know disease or disability, um, every single person knows someone going through that. Uh, know someone who has a loved one going through that. So it, it is, it, it's almost like this, this universal experience that if you get it right, then readers are going to see, maybe not themselves, but they're going to see their parent, their grandparent. Um, and and you know, for me, for me, reading it, it really, sorry, it really made me feel, think about my grandpa. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I lived in a different state uh, away from him uh, the past, you know, seven, seven-ish years of his life. So my interactions with him were not on a on a daily basis. But I remember the, the last time that the whole family came out and visited uh, my family at my house. And, uh, you know, he's he's bedding down on the couch for the night. He's like, this is the worst hotel I have ever been in. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry, Grandpa. It's the best one that we could find. <laughs> And um, you know, just you know, th- things like that where it, it not the you know not even like the big dramatic things, but the the simple little things that I felt like you captured, and you captured it you know right at the beginning of the book to set that tone for what Grayson's character was going to be and what his journey was going to be like. Uh, it wasn't just this big thing; it was all the little things for me that really made the book and made the character work. You know that you mentioned your grandfather. Say again, this is for somebody who writes stories. This is music to my ears because I made you think of somebody that you loved, somebody that who who changed and you had to change with him and everybody else in the family had to see that kind of change. So that, you know, if, if something, these are just squiggles on a page, you know, they're just squiggles that I'm, I'm using my keyboard to do and that they can hit you at that point. I had another fellow in, uh, I believe it was Michigan who wrote and said, I just read the pre-release, you know, I want you to know what it did. And, in, and very much the same thing. It was, uh, a, a connection with another family member and the, the loneliness I've, I mentioned that the loneliness of, having to say goodbye to this person and just watch them kind of drift away because you're doing all the grieving on your own. The person with the disease is not, uh, they are in their own way, but they're not doing it the same way so that you would pick up on that. And here's the other thing. I'll just, Dr. Josh, here's the other thing. This book I thought was going to be about Alzheimer's. It was going to be a diagnosis. I was going to bring up in the end of the book, you know, there are these, things that uh, O. Henry did, you know, a little twist of the story. I love to do that because I, 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 those are the kinds of stories that I like to read. So you, you're going to see all of that. But I was writing this and I was realizing I'm writing about my own life. Not that I have some kind of a diagnosis, but I'm just like Grayson in a lot of ways. Grayson wanted to do it himself. He didn't want any help. He didn't want anybody telling him how to do it. He knew it you know, and he was going to figure this whole thing and he was going to do it himself because if he has to have somebody else do it for him, then it's not 
him doing it and then he's not worth as much. And so his family is desperately trying to love him well. And the question is, is, as the novel progresses, is he going to allow them to love him? And I found it uh, that that was the main theme that ran, rather than the Alzheimer's, rather than the disease, it is this theme of grace and love and mercy and the inability of somebody to accept it rather than earning it. You know, he just has to work for everything. I think a lot of people do that with in their faith too. It's like you can say, I'm saved by grace, you know, and, and it's it's by faith. I'm a grace and it's only by God's grace. But we live an awful lot of time trying to earn God's favor and trying to do the right thing and say the right thing and memorize the right stuff and read enough and, and do enough when God has lavished us with love. And the question is, are we gonna are we gonna receive it? Are we gonna live in it? or try to earn it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Something that I really appreciate about the book, and this is kind of what drives a lot of the mystery that, that Grayson is trying to unravel is that it's not strictly told from his perspective, but a lot of the information that we get from the book does come from his perspective and comes from his knowledge. And that inherently gives you this unreliable narrator. If you, you're never quite sure if what is happening, what is being perceived is what is and uh you know a lot of those mysteries unfold as the book progresses and we won't say how that happens uh <laughs> but there are some some that i was like okay i i see the mystery and there were some that i didn't even realize was a mystery until the you know until the answer was revealed yeah. and i had to go back and be like wait what, what? Oh, okay i wasn't even you know i hadn't even, <laughs> even thought of that i was just letting that be right. uh and you just uh, accepted it yeah Talk me through writing from that perspective and how, you know, because you have to keep it straight in your mind while jumbling it up in Grayson's mind. Uh, how do you make sure that in the end that you end up in the place where you want to be at? I love the, and you picked up on the unreliable narrator. I love this uh, device that we can use because to him, everything that he says is true. It's real. And if you look very carefully, uh, baseball plays a part of Grayson's life. And I used, I threw some statistics that he throws out about Pete Rose or somebody else. And I, I got him slightly off skew. So the real baseball fan will see, no, he didn't have that many hits. He had this, you know, so you can see there are these clues that Grayson is not fully uh, in control of all of the, all of that stuff. But you're right. I had to uh, plot it out and think it through almost from uh, his wife's perspective, because she's the one who knows the most about him. He's going back to a place where he hasn't been for years and years to solve this mystery of his life for people who you know have a different viewpoint than uh, his wife does. And so um, I, the, the, I'll tell you this, the place where I started it was the catapult of the whole novel. And that is Grayson is in his boxer shorts sitting in, and he's in Tucson, Arizona, where I live right now. He's in Tucson in the garage early in the morning and he's sweating profusely because it's real hot at that time of year. And he, he has a nail gun in his hand and he doesn't know why he's there. He's, he's awakened from a slumber and then you realize, well, they've, they're coming that day to take 
his stuff, to take his tools, to, to take his VW van that he's been restoring all these years that for some reason he can't get to start, you know, and he's, it's been trying all these different things and, and uh, putting all that stuff in the carburetor and he can't get the thing to start. So the, the very beginning of the novel creates this tension that you see in Grayson and then the tension in his wife, uh, Lottie and in the, <laughs> the fellow and in the neighbor, even the neighbor across the street. And, you know, he's got a nail gun and it's, and it's loaded, you know, it's charged up. So there's, there's danger here. He's kind of this out of control. You don't know. He's a force of nature. You don't know what's going to happen, but you really believe that this family is going to do what they need to do to love him well. So that as I plotted it through, I kind of kept that in mind of how, how does the family show love to this person who can't reciprocate it? And he can't even understand that we're loving you well here. What did they do? What, what kind of courage and fortitude and faith do they have to have in order to run that trail well? Yeah. Yeah. One of the themes of the book, um, it, it's, it's not a prominent theme. It's just sort of, it's, it's put in there as a matter of course, and that's racial relations. Mm-hmm. Um, that you, you could have taken that out that element out of the story and the story have been just fine. Um, so for you putting that element in and having to, to deal with that in depth, uh, why did you make that decision and how do you feel like that affected the course of the novel? It affected it an awful lot because I, you know, there's so much that we can't say here, but mm-hmm. let me tell you this. I, I wrote this novel It's probably taken me the longest of any novel that I've written other than my first, which I thought about it for, you know, 20 years. Um, but it take, it was over a two year period. And I wrote the entire first draft and turned it in. And on the same day said, hang on, there's something that's not right here. I have some friends who are native American. And so I had made, I knew that Grayson had to have a sidekick. He had to have a sidekick with him on this trip from uh, Arizona back to West Virginia. Um, And I made it a a Native American young man. A lot of the Tahana Autumn Nation is here and a lot lot of different tribes that are are around in this Tucson area. And I thought this would be a natural thing to do. And when I got to the end of it, I realized that that character, Johnny, that was with Grayson, it was the caricature of the native American and, and Grayson was kind of, you know, calling him names and this kind of thing. And I didn't want to do damage to the native American people who would, and I, I interviewed a couple uh, and a woman who, you know, has gone through some real deep struggles and kind of used the things that had happened to her. And she said, yeah, go ahead, run with it. And I felt very bad writing them and telling them, I had to go a different direction with this because I want to write about a native American person at some point, but this just wasn't the place, but the African American character fits so well for reasons that you'll find out when you, when you finish the novel, if you read it, um, that it just, everything fit. And so I didn't just take Johnny out and put the other name in there. I went back and I rewrote it from page one all the way to the end. 
And when I got to the end, I thought, you know, we're going to have to edit this some, and there's still some more work to do, but this worked, this relationship that, that Grayson has with this younger African-American man, this really does work and tell a deeper story of grace um, than I could tell in any other way. Yeah. Yeah. I really, it, it wasn't essential but it definitely took a good novel and made it great. You know, it enhanced everything about it from the storytelling to the themes, again, to the concept of grace, like you're talking about. I, I want to move on just to talk about the actual publication of the novel. And there's two interesting things about it to me. And, and number one is the publisher is Tyndale House, but through Focus on the Family imprint. And I, I know Focus on the Family has partnered with Tyndale House on several other novels. Uh, it's never been quite clear to me how that relationship works. Obviously, you're the author, not the publisher. Um, so what for you? Because I know you've published with Tyndale before as Tyndale, and now it's for focus on the family. So for you, what was the difference between a Tyndale novel and a focus on the family novel? And why is this one focus on the family? Well, Tyndale has, for fiction and nonfiction, come alongside focus and and kind of team partnered publishing uh, things. And so that's how their relationship worked. Focus, Larry Whedon contacted Jerry Jenkins and he said, we've done a lot of nonfiction stuff, you know, a lot of nonfiction writing. We want to uh, get into the area of fiction as kind of a tool that we've never used before in quite this way. Would you identify one or two or three authors that could come alongside us could take one issue that's in the current culture that families are dealing with, that people are struggling with, and write a novel from that perspective that then uh, readers could pick up and read. And it won't be a didactic, you know, a teaching thing, but it will lead them toward truth that they may be struggling with. So Jerry, uh, Jerry and I have had a long time relationship. He, he thought about me and he said, is there anything rolling around your soul? Here's a list of all the things. And I said, well, this is kind of dicey, Jerry. If you give me a, you know, a racism in the, in the world or sexual exploitation or whatever it is, um, it's hard to go to the page because I just want to find a, a character whose story I want to tell well so that we fall in love with them, we root for them from the beginning to the end, and we go with them. But the more I thought about it, this Grayson story really bubbled to the surface. And I said, would 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 you like, and when we were talking about focus, would you like dealing with an Alzheimer's diagnosis with some kind of dementia and what that does in the family system and the, the struggle it is for the person and to be able to do it from the perspective of the man who's dealing with this as well as the outside. And they said, yeah, let's, let's do it. And so um, Angela Hunt and Tamara Alexander also wrote about two other issues, the things that were bubbling up in their lives. And so they all come out on the same date on November 7th, all three of them will come out and we're really hoping that this will reach a new audience, maybe even a new generation of fiction readers who don't really know that much about Christian fiction, or they have a, a bad taste about Christian fiction in their in their mouths. And uh, they'll read some of these stories and they'll see, wow, the, the stories are great. They take me into the, the character, but they're dealing with the same things that I'm dealing with, with some kind of issue that I'm dealing with in my marriage or in my family. 
that was the uh, that was the real hope. And I think it's why Tyndale came alongside and helped focus do this, you know, go through the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, you kind of already answered the second side of that, which was on the cover of the novel. It says Jerry Jenkins presents. And I was curious, you know, the back cover has a nice endorsement from Jerry and you've worked with him. Uh, let's see, the Left Behind Kids series, right. the Red Rock Mysteries. I'm probably missing other stuff. Um, so his involvement, well, his involvement on this one was sort of to bring everybody together. And uh, <laughs> his involvement on this was his involvement on this was to take my story like this and make it like this. Mm-hmm. And Angela and Tamara said the same thing. We've never had anybody edit our stuff that much. Um, but I learned, and the, the other series that we did was The Wormling. We did a five-book uh, kind of fantasy novel called The Wormling series. But I would, when I was working on <laughs> the Left Behind Kids books, they they needed to be somewhere between 25 and 35,000 words, the first few that we did. And we wrote, thir- I wrote 35 with Jerry and Dr. LaHaye. And so I would write, you know, I'd pad, you know a little bit more, maybe 35,000 words. They'd come back at 18,000 words. And I think, Jerry, what are you doing to me here? Come on, man. You know, you're taking all the, no, he said, I'm not editing you any different than I would somebody else. And then the later books had to be 35,000 words. So I, I wrote to 50 and they still came back at like 28,000 words. So I'd have to get back into the story and see what is it that I can flesh out here that Jerry's not going to cut. He's very, and, and I, I believe him when he says, he edits us like he edits himself. He's a very uh, deep cutting editing kind of person. That old Hemingway, you know, write hard and clear about this and and keep it pared down so that the story moves. And I'm hoping that that's what you experienced, Doctor Josh, as you read it. That it has this movement to it, and you know, it's it's like you get to the end of the chapter, you just have to keep on going. Mm-hmm. I, I will say, and this is this is not to not to critique Jerry because I don't that's not my place. I do wish there was more on the back end of the story. You know, the, just, when everything just like starts to move and, and happen, it's a world that I could have lived in. So uh, if if you want me, if you want to send me your first draft, I would I would I would read all the fluff and everything uh, because it's it's a it, it is it's a short it's a shorter novel. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think I read it in a couple of hours. Now I read I read really fast. Um, so that's not, you know, indicative of everyone, but it, it's a, if you, if you carved out a significant portion of your day, you could read it in a day. Uh, but it was, it was a world that I didn't, didn't feel like I wanted to leave. Uh, mm-hmm. But I guess that's also a sense of good editing that you don't feel like you've overstayed your welcome that right. it's, you, you know, leave them wanting more, leave them yes. thinking about the novel after the last page is turned. Well, you know, that brings up a really good point, And that is, when you when you begin a novel, when you begin a story and you begin to root for this person, you know, you want there to be hope. You want there to be uh, a resolution that feels really good inside, even if it doesn't tie all the, the bows, everything in a bow. But if you've got an Alzheimer's diagnosis, there's pretty much only one way this is going to end. There's there's not a lot of quote unquote hope here. Right. And what I tried to show was that the hope is not in grayson's healing or in him uh integrating what has disintegrated it is in the the love and the grace and the mercy that follows him and informs all of the characters that are around him in his orb some who love him dearly and some who just don't like him at all um so that that 
to me, I didn't want uh, toward the end of the book for you to have to experience everything of his decline, but you see enough there to to get a hint of where it's where it's kind of headed and what's going on. And uh, I wrote a I wrote an article. Uh, I was actually part of a story for Mature Living magazine that came out this month, and it is Grayson in that. I'll try to send it to you, Doctor. Uh, it is Grayson sitting on the bench, and it's a little further down the story uh, after the novel ends. And I I thought oh, I could do this, and this would be kind of neat for those for the readers to read that, and then be able to go back and read the novel. Mm-hmm. All right, well, this is this is speculation on my part, but what are the chances, since Jerry Jenkins is involved, of this becoming a Dallas Jenkins presents? <laughs> uh, Dallas Jenkins, of course, if you don't know, has uh, directed the wildly popular series The Chosen, um, because this novel read is very cinematic to me, and I think that it could be turned into a very good movie, very well done movie, if in the right hands. Uh, do you have any hopes for that? You know, I never really thought about that as I was writing. I always think of the of a film script, you know, I always think in, in terms of film as I write, because it just kind of enlivens the senses. Uh, I hadn't thought necessarily about Dallas doing it, but it's not a bad idea. It's a great idea. I would love to see that. I would love to hear the ping of the nail going through the... Uh, well, I won't tell you what it goes through. Uh, I'd love, <laughs> I'd love to. Who I thought of in the main character was Kevin Costner. I thought of Costner as playing Grayson. I thought he would be a really good. I mean, at the age he's in now, and then you know, usually films take a long time to make. So maybe ten years down the road, he wouldn't be the right person. Um, and I thought of Jennifer Connelly as Lottie. Uh, I thought I thought those two would would seem really good on the screen, uh, try and chase each other down the road, you know, uh, and and find him. Uh, but I so I I went that far to think of those characters and the some of the other different people and who who would could be the stars for them because if you get the the face and the voice, especially of Grayson, because. Uh, Grayson kind of speaks in a, a Costner kind of clip, you know, and Jennifer Connelly has this, just this warmth and beauty and grace while at the same time, just at, at the end of herself. Um, so yeah, you, you talk with Dallas and Jerry and let me know what they say. <laughs> All right. Oh, well, come, if it happens, then, you know, you heard it here first. That's right. The doctor, you got to be at the uh, idea from the doctor. Mm. Um, what message do you hope readers take away from this book? Boy, there's, there's as many messages as readers, I think, uh, because, and I don't say that flippantly or lightly. I think any work of art, a great song, a great piece of music, a great, uh, sculpture or painting, you bring so much of yourself to it and you will hear something different than somebody else hears. So I hope that, you know, it meets people right where they are. But I, I think that the main message is what I've, I've even said already about the grace of God is not something that you earn. It's something that is bestowed, something given. The only thing you have to do is receive it and accept it and, and push back on that 
idea of I got to earn God's favor. I've got to earn this thing. I've got to earn the love of my family. Because what does Grayson have to do? He he can't remember things like he used to. He can't write the great story that he has really wanted to write all of his life. He doesn't have control of the, you know, he can't even control his dog or the river that he's drawn back to. All of those, you know, he's just this accident waiting to happen. So what is there to love about this person? There's everything to love because he's so unique. He's so Grayson, you know, he's so himself. So to, uh, to see the family struggling to get him to receive that love, I hope there's somebody that the, reads it and the light comes on and they say, you know, I don't have Alzheimer's, but man, I'm Grace and I, I, I need to, to do the hard work of surrender and let God love me, let the people around me love me, not for what I can do for them, but for uh, just out of that sense of the hesed that God gives us an old Testament word. That's really hard to, to translate, but it means the unfailing, unending, unearnable grace, mercy of God. Mm-hmm. Well, last question for you. And this is, this is one that I always hate to ask, but I also find that a lot of authors like that. I ask it. And that's what do you have coming up next? What do, what are you working on now? Cause, cause you know, this is a book that I'm sure you finished quite a long time ago. So right. you get to promote it now but you're already neck deep in your next thing. Uh, What are you doing right now? What's the next thing coming up for you? Well, you're right. I uh, just this morning, I was working on this scene in the the book that I'm working on. I have uh, been privileged over the last few years to work with the Kendrick brothers and uh, write the war room with them and overcomer and life mark. And there's a new film that's coming out in August of 2024. I, (laughs) I am hard at work trying to bring that film script and the uh, the what I see in the movie, what they've shot. I'm trying to bring that from the screen to the page so that it gets into the heart of readers. Uh, and I, I just love what they do. And the process that I get to go through, the way that I explain it is they put up the fence line. You know, they've made all the decisions, the hard choices about plot and what happens and who the characters are. And I just get to, to run around in the pasture and play and ask questions about what's going on. So I think you're really going to enjoy the, uh, the film that comes out next year. And I hope you enjoy the, the novel that comes from it as well. All right. All right. Well, Chris, thank you for taking time out of your day to be on the podcast. It's, it's always lovely to have you on. Um, everything you write is it's so relational. And I really love novels that are just stories of, of people. I suppose that's why the website's called Life is Story. Uh, the novels like that really, really get to me. And this one was no exception. So again, Saving Grace and releases November 7th. Um, so look for it wherever you buy your books, ebooks, audiobook, I assume. Yes. Um, is going to be there. And this is one that you you don't want to miss. And it only takes you two hours, or at least Dr. Josh. It takes, you know, it took me two years to write this and you read it in two hours. <laughs> I always feel bad about that. I do always feel bad about that. Don't but... feel bad. No, you, that's, that just shows that, you know, if you're a good reader like that, it means that you could read a lot of material. So thank you for uh, honoring me and Grayson with uh, this this podcast conversation, doctor. <laughs>